So, uh, we're in our series, People, Places, and Things, and uh, today I'm going to be talking about a person, and this person is Joseph. Uh, most of you, many of you know the story of Joseph, uh, I, but before I get into Joseph, I'm actually going to take you my text verse, which is actually the words of Jesus, and if you would please stand with me as we read God's word together. Uh, we like to do that here as we honor God by the reading of his word. In John 10.10, 10, the words of Jesus, he says, the thief comes the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The title of my message today is The God of More. Would you pray with me, please? Our wonderful Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are so good. We thank you that we can worship you in this place, that we can honor you, that we can love you, and that we can come together and we can hear your word, God. We are so thankful and we bless you and we honor you today, Lord. I pray that that in these next few minutes we have together, that you would do your work in our hearts. Lord, this is not about me. This is not about new hope. This is about you bringing glory to yourself through the seed that is sown in our lives. So let this seed produce fruit in all of our hearts. Open our hearts today, Lord, to hear your word for our good and for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Okay, so let me start by asking you a question this morning. Have uh, you ever... Uh, had a situation where the hype about something, whether it was a product or a, a situation you were gonna be involved in, that the hype building up to it did not match the reality of what it was. Probably all have experienced that at some place in our life. A, a very frivolous example of that, that just trying to get your, your motor turning here, your gears turning in your head. Uh, about 10, 11 years ago, a couple of us went over to Lebanon to uh, visit Ben Johnson, who's doing a work there over in the Middle East. And on our way back, we had a, a layover in Italy for a whole day, like morning till late evening. And we had all this time to kill, so a couple of us said, hey, let's, uh, why don't we rent a car and drive to Pisa? You know, where the leaning tower of Pisa is. I mean, how many times are you in Italy? Let's do it. So we rented a car, got the GPS, and drove four hours to Pisa. And we were so excited, because I'm, you know, I've heard about this leaning tower since I was a kid, and, and I was just expecting to see this unbelievable, massive structure, you know, like the Eiffel Tower, just something enormous and breathtaking, you know? And, we're getting close, we're in Pisa, and the GPS is telling us we're like an eighth of a mile away, and I still can't see it. I'm going, man, this GPS must be messed up. And um, sure enough, we get up to this intersection, we turn a corner, and there it is. And it is the most unimpressive thing I've ever seen in my life. It looked like a barn silo was tilted over. I was like, you know, if we get a few guys, I'm pretty sure we can just push this thing up and make it stand there, right? Uh, the hype definitely did not match the reality of that experience. Um, because it was very unimpressive for me. But, uh, but that's, that's really the best the world has to offer is hype, right? The world can give us all kinds of hype and get us, get us hyped up about something, whether it's a, you know, a, something we want to purchase or if it's a relationship thing or if it's a financial thing or a job or a degree, we can get all worked up and, and we buy into all the hype. And then if you live long enough, you know that almost every time the reality never matches the hype. When you finally get that promotion you just thought would finally make things settled for you, and you realize two weeks later, eh, it's not that big of a deal, right? Or if you finally get that thing, or you, you get that girl to finally like you, and then after a while, you start to see everything that's wrong with that girl, right? Um, we're just, the hype just does not typically match the reality, and that's really what the, the best thing the world has to offer. But if you look at my text verse today, I'm gonna kinda tie this together, because I love the words of Jesus here, because he tells us very clearly what the enemy's plan is for our life, but then he tells us what his plan is for our life. He starts by saying the enemy's plan is to steal, to take that which belongs to you, to take it away from you. And Jesus said, but I have come to give. 
So he wants to give you that which belongs to you, not only what, doesn't, what belongs to you, but also things that don't belong to you, that you don't deserve, he wants to give us. He's the opposite of the enemy. And then it says that he comes to kill. He wants to kill our dreams, our joy, our peace, our, our very life, if he could, right? His desire is to kill. Jesus is the opposite of kill. He wants to give life in our situations. He wants to give life to all those things. And then finally he says his ultimate goal is to destroy. It is to tear us down. That is his greatest victory in our life if he can destroy our soul and destroy everything about who we are, right? And Jesus says, in contrast to that, I came not to destroy, but I came to give you abundance and more in your life. I came to whatever he wants to tear down, I want to build up. Whatever he wants to cause to go away, I want it to flourish in your life. That is the heart of God. And so when we talk about hype, the only thing in this world for us as people where the hype is going to match the reality is when God, when Jesus says, I've come to give you more. I've come to give you abundance. Now, let me be very clear at the front here. This is not about prosperity. This is not about God wanting to pour out all and give you everything you wanna get in your life and, and just blessing you to overflowing and having everything you ever want. If you guys have been here any length of time, you know that I detest the prosperity gospel. I think it is a total fallacy. I think it is complete heresy and goes against God's word and his heart, okay? So that's not what this is about, but we also know that God does want to give us more. Jesus said it. So we have to look at that and see, well, what does he want to give us more for? Because if, if you've acquired those things that are worldly things in your life, earthly things, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that it can often feel empty when you finally get to that thing. I remember as a kid really wanting a, a certain Christmas present almost every year, you know, and I never learned my lesson because every year I just desperately wanted that and I thought, man, I, my toy collection will be complete if I get the little portable Pac-Man, right? And then I get it, and 20 minutes later, I'm bored with it. You know, that's just, that's kind of how we are as humans, and that's kind of our nature. So when he's talking about more here, we have to ask ourselves, what is the action item? What is the takeaway from this verse when Jesus says, I've come to give you more? The first thing we have to understand is that he didn't come to just give us more stuff, but that he has already given us more. See, he's already taken us from death to life. He's already taken us from sinner to saint. He's already taken the old away and given us the new. And see, God is much more, when he talks about more, the first and foremost, that what he is talking about there is the eternal. And since God's heart is more for the eternal than any other thing, that means our thoughts need to be more eternal than they are temporal. Because he is more about the eternal. So he's already given us more eternally in ways that we can't even comprehend and we won't comprehend fully until we are actually with him face to face. But that's the first primary thing that we need to know in our life, that he is about the eternal first. And I'm gonna to get to other things where I believe he's, he's, he gives us more too, but we have to build on the foundation of the, of the truth of who God is and what he cares about, and we know that eternal is first. Because the Bible actually contradicts most of our notions about what we might think more looks like. If we're thinking it's about you know wealth and prosperity and it's about uh, influence, it's about power, it's about comfort. The Bible contradicts that. In fact, uh, the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians are very interesting. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 26, look, look what he says here. He says, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. 
God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So we see right here that Paul is saying this is New Covenant, New Testament theology here. He's saying, listen, God doesn't just call the wise and the influential and the noble and, and want to just pour those things into us. He actually calls the foolish, the weak, the lowly, and the despised. So the question is, well, why does he do that? Why is his heart more for them than even the people that are privileged and noble and have all the advantages in life? Well, it's very clear why he does that because it's in the very next verse after this passage in verse 29. He says very clearly, so that no one may boast before him. You see, when we have all those other things, when we have the noble birth, you know, we have all the, the privileges and the blessings and the comforts and the advantages and the wealth and everything that comes in life, we know enough to know that that actually can be a hindrance in our walk with God. It can actually hold us back. Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to get through the eye of a needle than it is, or a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not that it's impossible, but there's, when we, it's too easy for us to lean on those other things. So God says, I'm actually gonna use the foolish, the wise, and the weak, because they won't boast. They, they said, oh, I did it in my own strength, or God gave this to me because I deserve it, because I'm noble, and I'm a person of prestige, but he's doing it because it brings him glory, because he is about himself. He's about his glory first, before ours. So why would we want the more that the world can give when it's obvious those things are hindrances to us? Well, partly because we have a sin nature that still really wants to be selfish. <laughs> we still want what we want. We want what we can get. And that's something we have to lay at the cross all the time. Our selfishness is something that rears its ugly head every day, right? Every single day of our life. But it absolutely hinders us from the more that God really wants to bring us in our life. So what does this more look like in life? Well, I told you I was gonna talk about Joseph, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a brief recap of the life of Joseph, and then I'm gonna go into what I think more looks like based on the template of Joseph's life, okay? So if you don't know Joseph, he was uh, one of the 12 sons of Jacob. Eventually, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So he's one of the original 12 tribes was Joseph, and he was the favorite son of Jacob. In fact, he was so loved by Jacob, he made him a coat. It was a beautiful coat, a coat of many colors, right? And it was something that was prestigious and wonderful and beautiful, and he was the envy of all of his brothers. Well, his brothers already didn't like him, so this made them dislike him even more. He was a tattletale, he was, he was just a, he was a daddy's kid, daddy's boy, and he just wasn't one, was really one to mingle with the common folk. And so uh, they didn't like him. And then on top of that, Joseph has a couple dreams that basically interpreted meant that his brothers and his mom and dad were all gonna bow down to him at some point. And in his arrogance and probably a little naivete, he shared these dreams with his brothers. And you know, I mean, what brother doesn't want to hear from his younger brother, hey, you're gonna bow down to me one day, you know? Didn't go over real well. And uh, to the point that they decided they're gonna kill him. And then they changed their mind. Instead of killing him, they sold him off to some Ishmaelites as a slave. So they actually got some money from him from getting rid of him, so it worked out great for them, right? They went and told their dad, hey, your, your son was killed. They told him that he was killed by a wild beast. And so Joseph's gone, and he is a slave in Potiphar's house, right? And so he's working in Potiphar's house, and the Bible says that he got so much favor with Potiphar that he actually, Potiphar put him in charge of all of his estate, everything. He said he didn't have to worry about anything. Joseph just took care of everything for him. 
And Potiphar's wife actually was very attracted to Joseph because he was, must have been a pretty good looking dude. And so she really, she wanted him to go to bed with her and he refused because he was a godly man, fear, God fearing man. And she got mad, so she told her husband Potiphar that actually Joseph tried to assault her, and so Joseph, uh, Potiphar had Joseph put in prison. So now he's in prison, living in a, a dungeonous prison, and the Bible says that he got favor with the prison warden, and the prison warden even elevated him, put him in charge of all the prison. It says the warden didn't have to worry about anything else. As a prisoner, he ran the prison for him. Incredible favor that God gave him. And in the midst of that, the king at the time his cupbearer and his baker, he put him in prison because he got mad at him about something. And they both had dreams and they came to Joseph and asked Joseph to interpret their dreams. And Joseph interpreted their dream correctly. He said that, he said, uh, for the cupbearer, you're actually gonna get uh, reinstalled into your position as the cupbearer to the king. Baker, uh, the news isn't so good for you. Uh, about three days, you're gonna be dead. And uh, that's a tough prophecy. <laughs> and it came true too. And so both of these dreams were true and so Two years passed, Joseph's still in prison, running the prison, and now the king, the pharaoh, the king of Egypt has a dream. No one can interpret it. The cupbearer remembers, hey, there's a dude in prison that actually interpreted my dream, and he was right. We need to bring him up here. So the king says, go get him. So Joseph goes from being a prisoner, and in the same day is standing before the king in the throne room. Incredible, right? And he stands before the king, king tells him his dream, Joseph interprets it, basically says you're gonna have seven years of incredible prosperity. The crops are gonna produce tons of food, but it's gonna be followed by seven years of de deep, deep famine. So you're gonna to need to store up food to save for these seven years. The king was so impressed, he elevated Joseph in that moment to second in charge over all of Egypt. <laughs> that is a success story if there ever was one, right? And uh, so Joseph is in charge of Egypt. He ends up, his brothers end up come, having to come to him to get food because the famine got so bad. He gets reunited with his family. He forgives his brothers and his dad comes. They all come live in Egypt and they're a happy family. They live happily ever after, at least for a little while until they get enslaved in Egypt. And then there's, you know, then now we're getting into Exodus. But that's Genesis 37 to, to the end of the, the book of Genesis. So this is the story of Joseph, okay? And I, I, I took you on that journey for a reason because I want to, I'm gonna be referring to him a good bit, but I want to look at the, what, what, when the Bible talks about more, when Jesus says, I've come to you to have life and have it more abundantly, Joseph gives us a really great template for this. And uh, I'm excited because I feel like this is some insight that the Lord gave me this week. And so I wanna give you a couple of these. The first one is that more is not just for you. When Jesus says, I'm come to give you more, it's not just for you. If you hear these words in John 10, 10, and you hear what Jesus said, and your mind immediately goes to, yes, Okay, good, what's it gonna be? Clear off the table so Jesus can put all the stuff he's gonna give me on the table, right? And how I'm gonna use this and how it's gonna be a blessing to me and me, 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 what, how it's gonna affect me and mine and everything I want. If that's where your mind goes, you are not thinking about the same more that Jesus is talking about. Because Jesus' more is not just for us. It's never just for us. In fact, the more that came from God for Joseph you see it was always about others too. When he gave Joseph more favor in Potiphar's house, it wasn't just for Joseph, it was a blessing to him too, but the Bible says that, that Potiphar didn't have to worry about his house, he took care of it, it was a blessing to him, and you know it was a blessing to all the other servants in the house too, because Joseph was a God-fearing man, I'm sure he probably treated him pretty well, so it was a blessing to them. And when he gave him more favor in the prison, it was the same thing, that the prisoners were probably treated a lot better, it was a blessing to more than just Joseph. When he gave him discernment to 
to uh, interpret these dreams. That wasn't just for Joseph, that was for these guys. It, it was able to speak into their life. And when he gave him more influence and more power to where he was the second in charge of Egypt, that wasn't just for him. It was to save many, many, many lives. And when God gives us more, it's always not just for us. It's for others and it's for God too. Because it's ultimately for his glory when he gives us more. In fact, the more that we get in our life that's just for us, that's not from God, usually causes trouble. You see it with Joseph, he got the coat, the beautiful coat from his dad, that was just for him. I can promise you he wasn't sharing that with his brothers. He wanted it, he was gloating, he was probably strutting around in it, talking about how beautiful his coat was. It didn't go very well for him. It, it was kind of what pushed his brothers over the edge. And so when we get the more in our life that's just for us, you can see even from Joseph's life that it is, doesn't go very well for us. And if your more is for just for you, it's probably not from God. You know, there's a, there's a saying that you hear a lot now in Christian circles that we've been hearing for a while about God dreams. You probably heard that term. You know, what's your God dream? What are you dreaming for God to do in your life? You know, what's your call? What, what's God's dream for you? Like, what, what do you envision him doing in your life going forward? And, and I, I definitely take issue with a lot of the context of it because 99 times out of 100, it's really about what is in it for me. It's about what can God do for me? And it's really not a God dream, it's a you dream. It's just how can God get me to get my dreams fulfilled in my life? And we'll spiritualize it and make it seem like it's, uh, you know, like we're sounding spiritual and godly, but the reality is it's really just about us. In fact, in my uh, mid-20s, um, I had known by this point that God had called me to ministry. And, and I, I know to this day that that was absolutely, it was a very dramatic uh, experience I even had with the Lord to, to call me into ministry. And I knew that, and I was in ministry at the time. I was in, in the mission field. And... Uh, so when I, I came back to the U.S. and Joy and I got engaged, and we were, we were leaving that season of our life, we we're moving into the next season, asking God what we're supposed to do, and lo and behold, my home church that I grew up in up in Ohio calls me out of the blue and says, hey, our youth pastor just moved back to Canada, we need a youth pastor. And we'd want, we're asking you to apply. If you'll apply, I can pretty much guarantee you got the job. And I mean, I wanted to sound spiritual, so I said, oh yeah, I'll pray about it. But inside, I'm like, yes, my God dream is coming true. This is the next step, right? And, uh, but I was mature enough to know I really needed to pray about it. So Joy and I prayed about it, and we knew very, very quickly that this was not God's plan for us, that it was not what he had. It was not our next step in our life. And uh, I was frustrated, if I'm honest. I didn't, you know, it wasn't like I was just so mature. I was like, okay, God, whatever you want because we didn't go back into vocational ministry until many years later. And so even in that stretch of time, I remember feeling having times where if things weren't going well, I was, man, God, I just know you've called me to ministry and, and why didn't this work out? And, and, and all those thoughts that come into your mind. And then it wasn't until later that we go back into vocational ministry about 10 years ago that in hindsight now I see, oh, it makes perfect sense. I know exactly why, because when when, we, when I got the phone call that, hey, we'd like to offer you this job, my mind immediately went to, oh, it's gonna be good for me. Oh yeah, it's a good step. It's a good stepping stone. Yeah, that'll be good. I, you know, um, I'll be respected and, and I'll, be a, I'll be a pastor. And, uh, oh, everything was about me. My mind never even went to like, oh, well, how can I pour into these kids? You know? How can I raise these kids up? How can I build the kingdom of God? It was all about me. And when the more that, we, that is coming into our life when it's all about us, it's probably not from God. 
And so I didn't know that at the time, but now I look at this and I look in hindsight, I'm like, oh yeah, thank you God that you did not let me do that because it would have been a train wreck. It would have been a disaster. So I'm thankful for God making us wait and putting us in this place where we are now because that was actually God's plan for, our, for us. And I love where we see the heart of God in this next verse, in Mark 12, in verse 41. Jesus is in the temple. And it says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Listen, church, he's telling us the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now, if you don't understand the context and you don't understand God's heart for us as people, this sounds like crazy talk. Like, is Jesus really that bad at math? Right? How could he say that? I mean, these wealthy guys, if it wasn't for these wealthy guys, the temple would not have been able to have the upkeep it needs. You can't do anything with a fraction of a penny, right? Why is he saying this? He's saying this because he sees this woman's heart in what she does, because God can see our hearts. Jesus can see right through the facade. He can see right through the exterior, all the way into the deepest crevices of our heart. And what he sees in this is that this woman knew that any increase she had in her life, the more that she got, even though it was a fraction of a penny, it was still more that it's all his, that she could trust him with everything she has, and that it's not just for her, but if she could even do anything to help the temple, even though a fraction of a penny is not gonna do much, she was all about it. And she gave out of her poverty, showing that she really trusted God with whatever more she got. And listen, this, is, this specifically, he's talking about a specific incident where it was about money, putting money in offering. It's not just about money, it's about everything in our life. Whatever increase God gives you, whether it's wisdom or intelligence or degrees or relationships or possessions or money or jobs or promotions, whatever it is, every increase that ever comes into our life without fail is not just about us. It's not just for us, it's for others too. And that's the heart of God. That's why Jesus said she gave more than these guys dropping big stacks of cash in the offering box. That's, that's the kind of math I can get behind. That's great, because that means it doesn't matter how much, what matters is your heart. What matters is what are you doing with the increase God has given you in your life? Is it just for you? I mean, do we really think that if we get a raise, it's just so that we can take nicer vacations? Do we think it's so we can get a bigger house, a nicer car, more technology, more niceties, more comforts in our life? Is that really, like that's the blessing of God for us? I mean, are those things bad? No, but anytime there's increase, if God gives us more wisdom, it's not so that we can walk around and talk about how wise we are and be all pious and uppity. It's so that we can pour that into other people in our life. Whether it's your kids, your friends, whoever it is, everything that he gives us is for us to give to others, to give out. Your house, wherever you live, it is, that was an increase in your life to have a place to live. It's not just for you. It's not just for you and your family. The Bible talks very clearly that we are to practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. That we are not to just make our home, people say my home is it's my safe haven, it's my, my place, it's my refuge away from everybody. No, it's not. Not if you're biblical. It's meant to be a place of hospitality. It's meant to be a place that you bring people in that you can share a meal with them and you can share the love of Jesus with them. 
It's a, it's a place to build relationship. It's a place for discipleship. It's a place for evangelism. It's a place that God has given you to be a blessing to others, not just yourself. Amen. Praise God. Everything God gives us is also for others. All right. We also learn from Joseph that more does not mean the absence of turmoil. In fact, it's often in the midst of turmoil. I know, here he goes again, talking about trials in life, but I just can't help it, because we just have so many. No matter how good life gets, there's always trials, and we always need hope for the storm, amen? We have to have it, and the Bible's full of truth that helps us to have it. But too often times, our mindset is that when the abundantly more life that Jesus is talking about goes to, we go to this place where we just think, well, that means God's gonna push out all the bad. If I could just get more, of what God has for me in my life, the bad stuff's gonna go away. It's just not true. Now there's an aspect of when you're healthy and God's given you increase in your life and you're emotionally, physically, financially, relationally, whatever it is, that it will push out some toxicity. You can keep the toxicity out of your life, but you're not gonna get rid of all the trials. You're not gonna get rid of all the, the speed bumps and all the tribulation that comes in this life just because he's going to give you more. And we have to get away from that mindset that more for us just means that God's just gonna make my life less stressful. Because it's not necessarily true. My life is more stressful today than it's probably ever been. And I feel like I have more of Jesus than I've ever had. So what does that say? Right, it's not just, see we wanna have this, if you think about your life as like going down a river, it's kind of a crude analogy but it works. We wanna be down, going down the lazy river on an inner tube, right? You ever done that on an inner tube where you just slowly float down the river and you can bring your sweet tea if you want because it ain't gonna spill because it's just nice and smooth and you're just enjoying the sounds and the sights and the birds and the frogs and seeing the fish and it's just a good time, right? Soaking up the sun, getting a tan, whatever it is. That's what we think more will look like in our life when the reality is life is like a white water rapid. You ever been whitewater rafting? It's fun, but it's also dangerous, isn't it? And you need people with you if you're going whitewater rafting. You need a guide with you when you're going whitewater rafting. And there's time in the midst of a whitewater rafting trip where you have time to look at the scenery, enjoy it between the rapids, but you also get a little trepidation because you know the next rapids come. I remember, I think I was about 20, we went, a bunch of us went to the Upper Gully River. It's in West Virginia. It's supposed to be one of the craziest rapids in all the Eastern US. And uh, it was pretty intense, it had a lot of five plus rapids and we were so excited, I was young and bulletproof, you know, nothing could ever happen to me. Um, if I hit a rock, I'll just beat bust the rock up with my fist, you know, just nothing could stop us and all the guys I was with were the same way. So we went and the bigger the better, you know, and the guide that we had on our raft, you know, he was giving us instruction before we went out into the water and we're kind of sitting there bored like, yeah, 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 we get it, let's go, you know. And I remember one thing he said, he said, God forbid if we were to flip over, you go into the water in a rapid, do not flail your arms to try to come up. He said, make yourself stiff as a board, like a buoy, and the river will shoot you right out of it. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever, you know. So we're going down the rapid, and I know you know how this ends. We end up in the biggest rapid on the whole river. It's called the toilet bowl. <laughs> and we flipped over. And I'm in the water, under the water, in a rapid. I can feel the water crashing down on me as I'm underwater. And I'm underwater, and I do what my instincts tell me to do, which is to flail my arms and kick my legs. And I'm not coming up. And I was under there for what felt like about 30 minutes. 
Um, I'm sure it was probably about 30 seconds, but it was an eternity. It was so long, I remember very distinctly thinking, this is it, this is how I'm gonna die, and that really stinks. Not even married yet. And um, it was in that moment that I remembered the words of the guide that said to make yourself stiff, and I thought, that's the dumbest thing ever, there's no way that's gonna work. But you know, I was out of options. So I just made myself real stiff, popped right out of the water. <laughs> Turns out I wasn't bulletproof and I didn't know everything at 20. Can you believe it? Don't worry, youth, you guys do though. You know everything now. But that, that's the life we live. Like we are living that kind of a life where there's rapids and there's chances of getting flipped over and we actually do need people, we need community, we need a guide in our life, right? And Jesus bringing more into our life doesn't mean those things are gonna go away. He doesn't eliminate the rapids, he navigates them with us. You know, the guide was on the back of the boat, steering the boat the whole time for us. He knew exactly what he was doing, even though we knew nothing. And we needed that desperately. And, and it, we have to get out of this mentality that, man, if I could just get God to give me what I need, if he can just, if I can get him to get me that, that job or that degree or, or that relationship, if I can just get to that thing, then my life's just gonna be a lazy river when the reality is that's not the case. God gives us times of lazy river, but that's not gonna be our whole life. And you know, God even let Joseph be forgotten after he gave him the promise. The Bible says that the, the cupbearer forgot about Joseph for two years, two more long years in that prison. God allowed that to happen. And this was after God promised him everything that was gonna happen to him. Yet he completely was forgotten until the time was right for God to do what he wanted to do in his life. Because see, God doesn't work on our timeline. I know that's not something we're gonna amen about, because that's not fun, because I wish he'd work on my timeline. I wish I could put stuff in my calendar and he would just go by my calendar. I could sync it up with his somehow. But he doesn't do that, right? And even if he's given you a God dream that's really from him, and he's promised something to you and given you a promise that you're holding on to by faith, that's important that we do that, right? It's very important that we do that. It doesn't mean it's gonna to happen tomorrow. Joseph waited 13 years to see the promise fulfilled in his life. 13 years. So if God's given you something, God told me I was gonna be in ministry. I mean, clearly, I didn't even necessarily want it at the time, and he said, this is what you're gonna do. He made me wait 13 years as well. It's quite a coincidence, but that's how God works. He works in his time, because here's the thing, church, stepping into the destiny that God has for you requires strong moral character. And that does not happen overnight. I know we'd like to think, oh, we're all equal because if we're saved, we're all on the same plane. That's not really true. Yeah, you know, you hear that the ground is level at the cross. There's nobody better than anybody else, but we're not all in the same place on our journey of faith. And to really step into what God has for you is gonna require some moral strength in your life, some character in your life that a lot of it takes a lot of time to build. It takes time to grow that in your life. Just because you have the spirit of God in you doesn't mean you have it all figured out. It takes time, we have to be okay with that time of waiting. Character is revealed in turmoil. And it gives us time to build that character. You know, it might sound strange, but the Bible's clear that we, that we are called to live lives worthy of the calling that God has put on us. Ephesians 4.1, in fact, I'll read it. Paul's in prison, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Now this isn't about us being good enough, this isn't about us being worthy to, to earn God's love or to earn anything from him. 
Everything we get from God is a gift. It's, a, it's the gift of grace that God pours into our life. We can't earn anything. That's why we can't boast about anything. But there's still an aspect where we have to live a life worthy for what he wants to do in our life. The more he wants to put into our life, we have to be deemed worthy of it. And Paul's in prison saying this. He's like, I'm in prison and I can tell you, I, I've, I've read enough of Paul's writings to believe that he experienced the more that God had for him even in prison. Because he understood that more does, is not the absence of turmoil. It happens in the midst of it. The good news is, is that any turmoil that comes into our life, church, this is always the good news, is that it is always for our good. And that God is big enough, he's strong enough to make it turn into our good. Romans 8, 28 is one of the best verses in all the Bible. He works all things for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. All things, all things, all things, all things. And Joseph talks about it in, in uh, Genesis 50. When his brothers came back and then their dad actually died, their brothers were scared that Joseph was gonna put it to him because of what they did to him. So they lied to him and they said, hey, dad said right before he died, you're supposed to be nice to us, <laughs> basically. You're supposed to forgive us and just let bygones be bygones. And this is what Joseph said in verse 20. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God intends everything for our good, even when it seems really horrible. I don't think any of us have probably gone through what Joseph went through. And even in that, I love it, because it goes back to my first point, that the good in your life isn't just for you. Joseph said the good that it was in my life, it was intended to save many lives. That was the good, and that's what he's gonna do in you too. The good in your life is always for others as well as yourself. All right, third and finally, this is my favorite one. More does not produce contentment, it follows it. We get in the error of thinking that the more that Jesus is talking about, that I've come to give you life and give you more, give it more abundantly to you, that if we can tap into that, if I can figure out how to tap into that more that Jesus wants to give me, then I'll be content. And that's actually completely backwards. The more that God wants to do in our life, it follows our contentment. It comes when we are content. You can, you, you can surmise from the context clues in Genesis that Joseph was content before the more ever came into his life. Because he's in Potiphar's house. Potiphar has tons of people in his, on his estate. He decides to elevate one person to be over all of them. If you're over a bunch of people, who are you elevating? You're elevating somebody that's trustworthy, that's faithful that's diligent, that's hardworking, right? Joseph had to have been all those things. Well, he wouldn't have been all those things if he wasn't content. Because when we're discontent, we might be able to fake faithfulness for a while, but eventually you're gonna be able to sniff it out because when we're discontent, eventually we're going to be about self-preservation. We're not gonna be about trying to help out, it's gonna be about taking care of me and mine. So Joseph was already content before he got the more in his life. He was content with every, every aspect of what he was doing. The more didn't come until you could see from the context clues that he was already living in such a way that he was learning contentment even in the midst of it. Because I can tell you today that contentment before more is fraudulent. I'm sorry, the more, yeah, the contentment before more is actually fraudulent. Or at the very best, it's temporal. Because again, I take you back all the way to the beginning of what I was saying today. Those things where we've had hyped up in our life, where we've thought, if I can get that, if I can just get that, I'll be content. And sometimes it works for a minute, but it's not long lasting. 
It's not gonna, it's not gonna survive the turmoil in the life. It's not gonna survive, it's not gonna have longevity in your life if you've purpose in your heart for you to really be content, because we all wanna be content. There's not a human on the earth that doesn't wanna be content. How we get that contentment is everything though. And if we think that it's the more that we're gonna get is gonna make us content, we got it backwards. We have to learn to be content and then God will give the more in our life because we'll be able to come to, at it from a place of, that's not what I'm depending on. It's what makes me content. You know, Paul said, talked about contentment, one of our favorite verses in the Bible, Philippians 4, 11 to 13, he says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. You know, the longer I live, the more, the more I grow in my faith, uh, my, my perspective on contentment has kind of morphed, maybe evolved a little bit, because there was a time where I would have said, this is all you need to know is this verse when it comes to contentment, that it's about learning to be content. And the way we learn to be content is by trusting God, right? That is, that's absolutely truth, that we learn to trust him. We trust him because he's faithful. We trust him because we know he loves us. We trust him because of his character. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can trust him and that breeds contentment in our life, right? And I still believe that wholeheartedly. There's no question. I mean, if I had a manifesto of my life, that's in it. Because I believe that, that that's every, one of the biggest things in our life is that we learn to trust him in any and every situation. And that is what actually brings contentment in our life. But as I have gone on this journey of faith in my life, I've realized it's not just about trusting him, but it's about what causes us to trust him. What about his character? What, what is it in me that actually takes me to that place of not just saying, yeah, I should trust him, but really being able to trust him? And what I would say to you today is that what I feel like the Lord has done in my life is showing me that uh, it, it's, not, it's, it's not just about trusting, but it is about understanding who he is and who I am compared to him and what I actually deserve in my life and how much he gives me despite what I deserve. See, the key here is that we have to really be very real and transparent about our own hearts. Because the reality is we know very, very, very clearly how bad our hearts are. As human beings, our hearts are deceitfully wicked. They deceive ourselves, we deceive ourselves. I deceive myself all the time. I convince myself of things all the time. I, I justify selfishness in my life all the time. I justify pride in my life all the time. I justify so many things in my life all the time. And I love Jesus passionately. I would die for him. But I know my heart. I know how to put on a facade too. I know how to make it look like I got it all together. I know my heart and you know your heart. And it's when we know our heart and we know the truth of the word of God and we know the truth of who he is and the fact that he really does still love me, that he not only loves me, that he actually died for me while I was still a sinner that he came and died for me. He gave me all the keys of heaven. He ushered me into the Holy of Holies to be in the presence of God 
put his Holy Spirit in me to live in me to live this life. And when I understand that and how unworthy I really am of him, and yet he still loves me and promises to, to be with me and bless me and give me abundantly more in my life, how can I not trust him in everything in my life? How can I not trust him? How can I not be content when I know that? I mean, when I get through every day, I mean, I, I, when I lay down in bed at night, I, I just can't help it. I just say, thank you, Jesus. I mean, I think of what happened in my day and it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter what happened in that day. I just think about, it was a day and I'm still here and my wife's beside me and my kids are in the house. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I don't deserve any of this, any of it. It's, it's almost impossible to, to take your contentment when you have an understanding of that. Not to say you don't have moments, but I feel like if I get out of that contentment, I can get back in it quick because I just have to rebalance myself according to his word and remember who I am and who he is. See, the words of John the Baptist are so powerful and I love it because it says so much where he's talking in Mark 1, 7. This is John the Baptist. It says, and this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Now, now listen to me, church, okay? We have to give you some context here because this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. What's the big deal about untying someone's shoes? You know, I'll untie Joy's shoes all day long. It doesn't mean anything, right? If she needs me to help her, I'll do it. You know, my kids, we kind of tied our kids' shoes. What does that mean for us? Back in ancient Israel, the feet were considered the worst thing there was. Like, you didn't, you didn't have to, you never touched anybody else's feet because the roads weren't paved, they were dirty all the time, sweaty feet. The, the teachers of that day, whatever their, whoever their students were, however many they had, it was common practice that the teachers could ask the students to do anything for them, even outside of their regular schoolwork or teaching, whatever they were doing. You could ask them to do your laundry, bake a, a dinner for your family, take your kids to soccer practice, whatever it was. You could ask them to do anything you wanted to, and they had to do it if you were the teacher. There was one exception. You were not allowed to ask them to take off your sandals, to untie your sandals and take them off, because that was too low of a thing for them. And so here you have John the Baptist, who if you know who John the Baptist is, he was the forerunner of Christ. He was the one that blazed a trail for Jesus to come in and, and do his earthly ministry, right? In Jesus' own words, he said, of, of men born of women, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. That's a pretty powerful statement. That, Jesus said that about me, that'd be pretty cool, right? He didn't though. <laughs> he said it about John the Baptist. He said there is no one greater. So in the human heap, the human mountain, John's at the top, the very top. And John says, I might be at the top of the human mountain, but even at that spot, I'm not even worthy to do the lowest of the low, low, low thing for Jesus. That's how big the chasm is between me and him. That's how big it is. Like I would have to elevate infinite amount of times just to get to the place where I would be worthy to untie his sandals, to do the grossest, dirtiest thing that can be done in that time in history. Now, why would John say that? It almost sounds like theater. Like, oh, he's just trying to, you know, talk, he's talking in extremes to make a point. No, he's not. Because he understood, he already had the spirit of God. He understood who he was and he understood who Jesus really was. And he understood what Jesus was doing for mankind and for us. And when we understand that, we understand that the more 
that God wants to bring in our life, it's gonna come on the other side of understanding who he is. It's gonna come on the other side of contentment, of being content in who you are and who God's created you to be and doing what God wants you to do. And if he's called you to ministry but he makes you wait 12 years for it, so be it. God is God and I'm gonna obey him, I'm gonna honor him, I'm gonna serve him, I'm gonna worship him because he's worthy of it. If, he, if nothing good happens in my life for six years, he's still worthy of it because the more he's talking about, first and foremost, is eternal and nothing can be taken away. That cannot be taken away from me. Nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God and that makes him worthy of our trust and our contentment in our life because of who he is. And when we get that in our spirit, when we get that in our heart, and understand that we have no spiritual entitlement. When Jesus says, I've come to give you more, it doesn't mean like, oh good, okay, let's do this. You owe me this, Jesus. He doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe any of us anything. He's already paid it all. So whatever he gives us, we're not entitled to it. It's the blessing of God, it's the grace of God being poured out in our life. It's the mercy of God being poured out in our life. But if we can live content, the more that he's gonna give us, this is, this is funny too because the more you think you want in life, if it comes from a place of contentment, a lot of times the more you want changes because you don't want the same things because now you're coming from a place of knowing really who he is and who you are. So even the, the desires we have, the Bible says that he will give us the desires of our heart. That doesn't mean he's gonna give us everything we want, it means he's literally gonna put his desires in us so we want the things that he wants us to want. That's what he does when we really understand who he is. He is that good. And the, the more we want is always gonna come on the other side of contentment, not before. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? I wanna pray for us today. I wanna invite you to the altar so we can pray. I wanna pray for us that, if you just wanna come and you wanna recommit, you wanna say, God, I want, I want what more looks like for me from your perspective, not my own. I don't, want, I don't wanna just get all the turmoil out of my life. I don't want more to just be for me. I don't wanna base my contentment on whether or not you're gonna give me what I want, but that I'll be content because it's what you created me to be. Let's pray together today. Praise God. Would you pray with me, church? Lord, we thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for your word. It's truth, it's life. It's everything we need, God. You are everything that we need. You are so, so good. Lord, as we sang today, it's hard to even express how great thou art. How great you are. And really how great we are not. But God, you love us anyway. We thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for your love, your joy, your peace that resides in us as we trust you, God. Would you do your work in our hearts today? Lord, I pray for everyone in this room, those watching online, every one of us, God, that you would line our hearts with yours, that your word would be first, not ours, that our God dreams, Lord, that we would lay those down if we need to. Some of you need to lay down the dreams you have that you just believe that God's gonna do for you. You need to lay it down at the altar and let God have it because when we give it to him, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a declaration of trust. And we can trust all those things in God's hands. Lord, give us the strength to do that. Lord, we, we repent today where we have made more about ourselves and ourselves only. Where we have 
purposed in our heart that more is just gonna mean you're gonna take all the turmoil out of our life. And where we have decided that we can be content if you give us more. Lord, we repent of all of that because we know that's not your plan for us. It's contrary to what you want for us, Lord. God, we wanna trust you in a greater way. Would you do your work in our hearts, God? I pray that this word today would be sealed in our hearts by your spirit. Thank you for the seed that has been sown today. Let it produce fruit in our lives, God. For your glory, Jesus, we thank you so much. For everyone here today, I would just say if, you, or if you're watching online too, if you, if you don't know Jesus, you've never experienced the abundant life, the eternal aspect of the abundant life that he wants to give, please, please don't leave this place today without making that commitment. You don't necessarily have to come up. You don't have to come to the front. You can do it in your seat, but you need to tell somebody. But what takes us from death to life is just as simple as understanding that I need a savior. We all need a savior, every single one of us. There's not a person born on this earth that does not need a savior that's good enough. And salvation comes when we understand our need for a savior and we believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he did live on this earth, that he did die on a cross and that he did rise again and that he is the one that brings forgiveness in our life. And when we commit our lives to him and believe him for that, he comes into our life. The Bible says he gives us his spirit. He writes our name in his book and it's done. And that starts the journey of us living our life for him and not for us anymore. So don't leave today without doing that, without making that decision. None of us are guaranteed anything. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed this afternoon. And he gives us that opportunity in our life to dedicate it to him. And if you do want to talk to someone, you don't have anyone here, I will be up front here. I'll be very blessed to talk to you and pray with you. Father, I pray today for all those under the sound of my voice that don't know you, that have not given their life to you, God. I pray that you would speak to their heart and help them to take that step, make that commitment, and know that it's the best choice they'll ever make in their entire life. We thank you for that today, Lord. We bless you, we honor you, and we worship you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Can we praise God one more time? Thank you, Lord. Praise God.